Corporate Unplugged opens the door to a world of people transforming business. They share their dreams, their experiences, and what they would never give up. So I'm so glad to have Harish Hande here with me from Bangalore. Hello, hi. Welcome to my podcast, Harish. I'm so happy to meet you. We are both here at this conference in Salerno uh, with Opus Fund uh, discussing social enterprise and how it can actually elevate as a form. Harish Hande is the founder and chairman of Selco India and Selco Foundation, dedicated to energy services for poverty reduction. Uh, He has a doctorate in energy engineering uh, from the University of Massachusetts, uh, and he serves on the boards of many organizations, both national and international. Uh, so, Harish, let's kick off with the simple question, what is Selco uh, for and actually who is it serving? The whole philosophy of Selco is to provide energy services to underserved populations. And the basic uh, thought process is that how do we look at sustainable energy as an intervention for development in terms of better health services, education, to democratize the services. And by working with the poor as partners, not as beneficiaries, mm-hmm. making sure that the partner poor become asset owners and not consumers. Mm-hmm. And that's the whole philosophy, using sustainable energy as a catalyst. And how much of an impact uh, already do you have uh, through Selco? And um, how much would you like to have, of course? Directly, Selco has impacted approximately more than 600 to 650,000 households, mm-hmm. mostly in, in South India and little bits of the North India. And what impact that we want to achieve? We hopefully want by tomorrow or today, 2 billion people can actually be not be underserved anymore. And that's exactly the whole point. It's not going to be Selco. Can we create and help lots of other youngsters to achieve the goal much better than us so that the 2 billion people are no longer underserved? And so the goal is, can we do it today evening? So, But using other youngsters. What kind of ecosystem do you have around it? Because I know there are there are like financial inclusion, there's human resources, a lot of other aspects to this than Absolutely. energy. Absolutely. So the issue is today when, when people talk about energy or electricity, people just talk about basics about, okay, can we meet people's lighting needs? But that's just more than lighting. We all know that if people have to come out of poverty, there has to be access to good education, basic services to health, and absolute good livelihood opportunities where... And today what happens is we confuse livelihoods with employment. That can the poor then work for the rich? That's the whole traditional model of work. What we are saying that decentralized energy like solar democratizes innovation and thus also entrepreneurship in a manner that the poor can be entrepreneurs and innovators. And the ecosystem that is required for the poor to be entrepreneurs and innovators like better financial products for them to afford, uh, say, a silk weaving machine, better market linkages, better methodologies of how to work on a small business plan. I think that's the ecosystem that Silco Foundation works on. And how come you are based in Bangalore? Yeah, we're based in Bangalore because our when we started back in 1995, I knew the language of Karnataka, where Bangalore is the capital. And it was easier to start with when you know the very local language. And I think that's when we started and we remained in Bangalore for 25 years. Yeah. So, Harish, what would you define as your passion, you know, exactly the thing that, that you're also willing to suffer for a lot in your life? 
I'm not sure. See, the thing is that my suffering is absolutely negligible to the three and a half billion people who suffer like thousands and thousands more than what. In whatever manner I'm privileged. The question is, why am I privileged? Because those four billion people have sacrificed in many ways, right? In India, classically, we live on the subsidies of the poor. The poor subsidize us. You don't pay market salaries to maid servants. You don't pay to the travel. You don't pay market salaries to the auto rickshaw drivers. I think you're in a privilege. And for us, for me, my colleagues, is how do we make it an inclusive system where anybody's kid, whether it's a kid from a slum, whether it's come from a rural area, whether it's come from inner city of Chicago or New York, does have an equal opportunity and that's a level playing field. And that's what our passion is. Can we use sustainable energy as a catalyst to make that level playing field? And what would you say are like the transformational points in your life that has led you to where you are now? I think, see, the thing is, I've got some of the best education that India had in the world. That's because, I mean, India, you write an exam and and you get to this good school. Mm. I went to that school because 300 million Indians did not write the exam. Uh, If they had written the exam, I would not have gone in. So we are running a 100 meter race where I'm at 50 meters Mm. and say I won the race. The others are minus 50 and they said they lost the race. I think for us, that's something that you work for. And over a period, you learn that a lot of the things that you learn in education, in degrees, are not that is practical on the field. And there are people, because of circumstances, either parents are getting old, somebody has to take the farm, did not take the opportunities that I had. Like, for example, if you and me did a PhD on sugarcane, both of us will be an expert of sugarcane. A farmer doing 40 years of sugarcane will never be called an expert because he or she does not have a PhD. So I think that's what you learn. How do you include... Today, when we talk about inclusiveness of the poor... I think we also need to look at inclusiveness of the thinking of the poor in your system. And we confuse between intellectual poverty and financial poverty. Those are two different things. And that's what you learn. Is there a long-term formula or solution for all kinds of businesses that you would believe in? I think the businesses, the long-term formula is that are you able to create a level playing field between the People who put in the money, the so-called shareholders, the management, the mid-management, the technicians and the end users. Are you making sure that there's an equal value being captured across the platform? Once you disrupt that in terms of value capturing, that's where you start looking at disparities in income. And once you see disparities in income in the world, you will lead to social instability in the world, one way or the other. You can't help it. Businesses are part of society. And society is part of business. I think today we have differentiated saying that it's business. It's not society. I think that's where the long-term goal of business is. Are you part of society? Truly inclusive of everything else. And that's what they should aim for. Because, for example, with my work where I support companies to, you know, really become the humanity plus engine, so to say, as much as possible, I believe that they are the only right now instrument that we have that we can turn to in order to represent us in the issues we think are burning and the challenges to be resolved Uh, because we don't have the politicians, the true leadership in governments everywhere in the world because everything is a short-term game. And even corporates are a short-term game if you look from the shareholder religion, so to say. But still, they're the best instrument we have. So if they would step up their game, we will get so much more done. Do you believe in that? 
I believe in the younger generation to do that. Is there a way where we influence a lot of the so-called business schools, the engineering schools, where if I'm looking at 2025, when I'm looking at a 28-year-old or 30-year-old kid getting into some of these companies, am I able to influence them today? Are we in the social entrepreneurship space influencing those 19-year-olds and the 20-year-olds to rethink of what humanity is? Because in five years, they're going to join these businesses and change the businesses from within the businesses itself and start looking at the system. Because today, what unfortunately, what we are doing is trying to get out the top management of any of corporates who already spent 30 years, whose opinions are fixed, who really do not have the grassroots level experience of the problems. Yeah. Right. I think we need to relook at, yes, business is one instrument. I still believe government is another instrument of doing it. But are we creating the next generation of human resources who can go into government, who can go into business, who can go into civil society and located at, at, at a truly inclusive? And that's where the change will happen. And that's what I'm positive about. Like by 2026, we should have a much better world in terms of thought process because there are a lot of youngsters today. And... Here we have, in this conference, we have loads of social enterprises, etc., from all over the world, and particularly from Italy. Why do we need to call this social enterprise? I completely agree. I think enterprise is an enterprise which believes that society is part of society, and every enterprise is started to solve a problem. And that's what it should be. We create a name social enterprise because you believe that the other enterprises were antisocial. Otherwise, why would you name? I mean... Just because other people didn't have impact, you said it's an impact investment and that was. So what are you trying to do? Social enterprises. One is you're trying to solve some of the problems of the world, but also question who created the problems. And and that's why I would go back to your previous question of corporates. I think the corporates also have to be very careful while while the engines are okay, while the methodology and the process is fine. But the way you use the engine of a road, like for example, I'm a road making company. Yes, you're great in making roads, but if you're making a road through an environmental swamp, then that's not the correct way of making the road just because it's a shortcut. I think that's where I think I would not, I would say decision making, is it inclusive? So I would say, yeah, coming back to your question is social. I mean, I think we should get the social word out of it. And when I talk to people, they say, well, it's because the definition of how you use the profits you realize, because it needs to be reinvested if it's a social enterprise, whilst the others are, you know, is that the reason? No, I wouldn't say that because suppose, for example, there's an organization that comes and says, I have thousand employees in India and tomorrow it gets thousand employees from Sri Lanka and, and replaces these thousand employees. Doesn't matter where it puts the profits in. Mm. And they say, I'm a social enterprise because I give employment. Right. And I redeploy the profits. So are you a social enterprise? The question of a social enterprise, it looks at every part of the system. Like, okay, if these thousand employees are becoming so-called expensive, can I regrade them? Can I upgrade them? It's not firing them and saying I'm going to cheaper. I think that's why social enterprise is not only about profits, about management. Are you also democratizing management within your organization? And social enterprises also have a complete, I have a problem with them. They hero worship themselves and the founder syndrome that actually comes in place. And then in some social enterprise defining, saying that if you have a product that sells to the poor, it's a social enterprise. That means Philips should have been a social enterprise many years ago when it sold torch lights to the poor. I think social enterprise is a much larger 
philosophy, it's profits, it's people, it's mm. mechanism, it's end users. It's not a small one part of it. Yeah. You have an example of a company in India that, apart from your own, of course, that, that is really serving society and people. I mean, for me, I mean, the classic example that I have seen is the thousands of street vendors are social enterprises, right? What is the definition of a street vendor? A street vendor delivers the most affordable products, services to the needs of the poor on the way when they go back home, right? And they survive on their own, right? Street vendor is a classic social enterprise. You don't say it's expensive. You don't say it's poor. It's less one. And it's affordable and it's a need-based for the poor who travel back home from working. And profits are reinvested in the family and whatever extra is that, so can I serve more poor people? They are the best social enterprise that I think about. Uh, but unfortunately, in the, in the world of semantics and English, if I have to look at it, the good example I would say is Arvind Eye Care, uh, which is based in, in Madurai, where what they do is they, the central part of the operations where they give eye care is the same facilities for the poor and rich, but the before and after services are different according to what your affordability is, right? Then their mechanism of collecting old people from villages to come for a cataract operation brilliantly done through transportation is what I see as a classic enterprise that, that is democratizes healthcare, eye care, but depends on what affordability that you can give plus or minus. And then the whole pudding ecosystem. I think Arvind Ekai, which is there for like 40 years, has really done it in a way that should have been done. What is, do you think, this is a big question, but what is the like number one thing you would do if you would be responsible for India, for the development of India? I'd say the number one I would say is create a large failure fund. Uh, what I mean by failure fund is saying to the lot of the youngsters, and especially in the rural areas and the slum areas and everything, boss, go and fail. You want to innovate on a business model? Go and fail. You want to innovate on a technology? Go and fail. You want to innovate on a financial model? Go and fail. If you look at the traditional way where Europe and US have succeeded, is the success of vocational schools, and which has led to hands-on and thought process and engineering, whether you... But I think if India has to grow and India has to innovate, how do you create a platform for the poor to be no more risk-taking, less insecure in what the next is? I think amount of failure fund or capital parallelly institutionalize the vocational schools in the rural areas, disprove the myth about this whole poor middle class and the rich. But that's a larger game. That's forget it. But I would create a large amount of a rural non-English speaker who cannot do PowerPoints, she or he, saying that I want to innovate on a sewing machine. I want some money to experiment. I want to innovate on a different business model. We should have that capital. In the exact different way, the way California succeeded, one way or the other. And we need to be complaining less. I mean, in a sense that if we have to complain, oh, the roads are not fine, the politicians are not working, blah, et cetera, et cetera. To bring that positiveness, you have to have the citizens taking more responsibility and citizens have to be more risk-taking in terms of solution. And that's what I would and, and if we dream a little bit and say that you have absolutely all doors open to you that you can imagine and you have all resources available to you, what is the, like the first thing that you would innovate or change? I will change the education system. Completely revamp the education system, which is so, so structured in a box 
where you force a person to be a mechanical engineer and not a solution provider. I have an MBA from this school. I'm not a solution provider. Or oh, I'm, I'm an expert of mechanical. Does a street vendor ever say, oh, I'm an expert in selling tomatoes? Because tomorrow, if tomatoes are expensive, she has to sell potatoes. We have to be solution providers. And I would go away. It's like the, when a girl comes back home and saying, I got 95 out of 100. The first question we ask is, why did you lose your five marks? We don't celebrate. I think, how do we make education system celebrate failures? and celebrate learning and not certificates. That's the first thing I would start looking at. If you would uh, give one advice to leaders, and, and please define what you think is a leader also, uh, what would that advice be? Today, any leader, whether it's a corporate leader, whether it's a political leader, whether even it's a social entrepreneur leader, people all thrive on niches. Niche, uh, what is my niche? And always create a chart how my niche is better than others, right? So I think we need to get away comparing ourselves with another human being and compare ourselves saying that if I had a better solution, would this problem be solved faster, right? I'm a little tired with this beauty contest, whether it's election, whether it's awards, whether it is anything else, because it's always against a new... If there are 10 human beings who have applied for a problem, shouldn't we be funding all 10, for example? Right? It's all a problem. Why are we forcing the kid to compete? What's, how is your pitch better than somebody else's pitch? And that is actually to the leaders. You're a true leader where I don't see you. But I see the work happens. I'm seeing you as a vision of what is needed. I am not seeing, okay, I'm going to vote for you because your vision is better than that person's vision. Or a corporate. Your decision making to create a product is because, yes, that's very useful, not, okay, I compare this product versus that product. It's a very short-term leadership. And that vision is what I would look for from any leader, whether it's a, a slum dweller or corporate head. And as I discussed yesterday about visions and, you know, really taking people places where they haven't been and, and be courageous, and the, that's the courage we need. We just need to Absolutely. know that we are safe and that, that we can work, right? Right, right. Boldness. I mean, and are you making that for every citizen, if you're a politician, every employee is coming at 8 o'clock in the morning or I'm waking up, I am not worried about two things. One is, if I go out of the door, something happens to me. Number two is, boss, where's my livelihood coming from? And that I think we all need to take some sort of ownership and leadership. So do you have any intentions for how to use yourself as an instrument for a great change in the future? Is it going to be Selco to the end or what are you... No, no. So the question is, uh, my colleagues have detached quite a bit out of Selco over the last years. And what we tell the youngsters is that Selco is, a, is not an organization. It's a philosophy or a concept. We want Selco to kill itself. And because we started to for a problem. And I hate it when people say Selco has grown because that means has the problem grown. Selco should actually be saying that we are winding down over the next five years because people have taken over, etc., etc. But our saying that also to youngsters is saying that we've been in, we have done 99% of the time we have done mistakes. Don't repeat the mistakes. You, when you come to Selco, don't learn the good parts. The best part that gets replicated is failures. Please see what we have failed. So the deal that you don't repeat it, number one. Number two is take a process, make sure you make it better and teach us back how the process was better. Because for us, that's the best, best gift that you can give back. And thirdly, 
please use us as the bad boys and to all the social entrepreneurs who were here yesterday my question is don't be diplomatic once you're diplomatic yeah. you are representing the voice of the poor you're not representing yourself moment you are quiet that means you have made the poor who have sent you here you have not represented them and that is what i think to the youngsters come if you also want don't want to say anything please tell us we will be the bad boys because if you are quiet the poor suffer you don't suffer because you can go and get another job and for us that's the platform selco says that it's it's what it offers or what it wants to do it will definitely keep pushing the boundaries and boundaries of thought process of saying that every citizen has as somebody has said they said oh it's very difficult if it was not difficult somebody else would have solved it and you won't be here you're here because it is difficult and um, let's say 10 15 years ago or so uh, you would give an advice to yourself what would that be we should have reached out more into other uh, youngsters at that point of time yes we had issue but i think we should have reached out to other youngsters and saying that in the other fields we were so stuck in our energy field i think today when we go out and reach to health and uh, livelihoods and uh, education i would have reached out at that point of time to other other sector other youngsters in other sector not be in the silo of energy in many ways i would say number one number two is that we would have more hopped on at least creating models of picking up some institutions in the country education institutions in the country and by now in 15 years we would have had three or four good models of what would be a true education i think but we were so involved or stuck in our own selco that i think i would what do you think is if there is like one most important thing or common denominator for all companies right now to focus on what what do you think that is i think see, for for them is even if you're if you're a service provider or if you're a product provider i think from you got to be bold enough today to say that am i in any form is this product or is is this service really uh, harming any part of society one way or the other whether it's environment whether it's socially whether it's technically need to make that happen and because until you do not are inclusive in the product or service itself you are going down the drain secondly i would say is that be very careful in the way you look at markets because for example and especially when you look at the markets delivering services to the poor the poor have two types of income we all have the non expendable income and the expendable income non expendable income goes for needs expendable income goes for wants a phone or a iphone or a or a laptop or something that non expendable goes for water clean water need cooking shelter house etc etc but what happens is moment you take the non expendable income to buy anything consumption you actually make the poor poorer suppose this was for my child's education i got very attracted and about a tv or this was for a silk weaving machine and about a tv i actually made myself poorer that was an asset because that marketing methodology for that particular product like a tv or a shampoo was far greater right and people unfortunately confuse and say oh it's the choice i'm sorry are you giving the choice where the poor should have spent that 1 rupee towards in an informed manner that 1 rupee should have gone into sewing machine you build your assets 
and then you go into the needs. But with today, push can oh, you have to buy a phone, you got to buy a TV, you got to buy a mixer, you got to buy a washing machine. I think we are we are nothing wrong if you had that expendable income and not the non. I think we confuse between the two incomes. So the corporates and companies have to be very careful. Which income are you taking away from? Are you? It's no different to a money lender, or a shark. Right? I'm taking your money. I don't care what happens to you, and that I think is critical. Are you making the poor poorer? You're responsible for it. Corporates are responsible, and they have to take that ownership of what it is. You know, companies like H and M and others. I mean, they are part of the, for example, textile industry, number two, you know, environmental right. problem. And there's recycling and there's giving away money to foundations. And there's all kinds of things, good things that they do. Right. But also the inherent business model is activating us to buy weekly collections, daily collections, right? Right. right. So, for example, for that kind of textile industry, what would you say top of mind they should go do? I think they should. I mean, the example that I previously gave of Arvind, I care of creating different services for the different segments of the society my question is why are you creating products see the, you're creating products according to what people can afford it right and so you have different type of products that you there are different type of products and you scale up your needs as you grow in economic society right today i have a 10 inch screen or 20 inch screen then i go i have more money or i have a better cloth or whatever but i think we are not creating that stepwise methodology of people because by having that weekly you're taking away that precious weekly income that should have gone into the education into buying a, a sari or a shampoo i think the decision making inside is where i believe in corporates is what what i would define as inclusivity in thinking right end of the day after five years i should go come and ask you because of your product how many people have gone into poverty? And if that's a great answer, I'm sorry, what have you done? So you have basically 10 million people went into poverty, but the 10 million people's money went into the shareholder and that's exactly the divide that got created in the world. So I would say to corporates, you're, you need to show whether, forget the environmental also, like the product, right? But also you have to look at five years down the line, what's your overall impact in the society? Have you been responsible for the divide? And that's where the management and the boards have to take a decision. And that's where the courage leadership come in, right? Because yes. if you're serving the shareholder, you have the best excuse, right, to say, but we have to do it this way because everybody else, the competition out there, is behaving this way. So we're all stuck in the same game, right? right? And that game is finite. It's not right. infinite. Uh, absolutely. And that uh, that's where I think, unfortunately, Paul Palmer uh, retired from Unilever. Yeah. I think the lots of more leaders should have been bold enough saying that because the competition is doing, it's like you're staying in a house and you've got four rooms and the heat is not there. And so I start taking off one of the pillars, which is made of wood and start burning the house because the other room guy is doing. And what will happen? All four of us keep burning because the other guy is doing in that room. And fundamentally, we have no house to stay. I think it's a, such a... Such a sad state of thinking, which is yeah. which exactly shows that they are not the leaders. <laughs> True. So, did my final question? What do you think the world needs most at this time? I think the world needs bold decisions, and especially I would put the onus on on the youngsters, saying that don't be just activists. Activism is great. I'm not telling don't be activists, but protest with a solution. 
Don't just go out and protest. The solution is the best form of protest. Because if I turn around and ask you, oh, it's not happening. But if you turn around and ask you, what is the solution? You should be able to give me five solutions. This is how I have done it. Not somebody else has done it. I think activism in a manner that you create solutions is the only way, I think, many ways that we can change the world. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Harish. Thanks. Thanks, Thanks so much for sharing everything. And uh, for people who want to find out more specifically about Selco, is it the, this website, Selco? Yes, it could be www.selcofoundation.org. Okay. And they will find like, links and uh, show notes on corporateunplugged.com. So how was it to be on the podcast? No, very nice. I mean, I'm, I'm glad you. we had it just after the uh, social forum here in uh, Italy mm. because um, it's a, these type of discussions actually hopefully create a much better level. So in the whatever experience that we have had, and mostly it's been an experience of failures. And I want the youngsters to realize that it's okay to fail. Yeah. Thank you so much. Remember to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, and Acast and share this episode with people you know would benefit from hearing exactly this. Please rate and review the podcast if you enjoyed it. Thanks for listening and until next time, live with purpose and remember to unplug. Ciao.